Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening, and that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Today, Kenzie Osborne is here to share her eating disorder and recovery story, and among the many things we'll hear is how her perspective on eating changed during her illness and into her recovery, and the many reasons she has to appreciate food now. Kenzie is a mental health blogger, a former NCAA athlete, chef, recipe developer, and after battling intensely with anorexia, she was able to find peace with food through traveling, cooking, and learning about the many benefits food has on the mind, spirit, and body. So I am I am all in for this uh, conversation. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here, Kenzie. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so excited to uh, to share my story and speak with you today. Fantastic. Well, we uh, you know of course are excited to hear about the finding peace with food part and the benefits of food that you've learned through your story. But let's start a little further back. So we we understand that there's a, a description different from those in your current bio that you felt defined for a long long period of your life that you were sort of quote the healthy and fit one unquote. Can you tell us a little bit about that label, the healthy and fit one, and what experiences or messages helped to shape it? And how did that impact your relationship with food and your body? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a family with both of my parents are doctors, and uh, I have three older brothers, all of who were very uh, high-performance athletes. And so I grew up in a very athletic family. Um, We were always eating together, running around, playing sports. And, and especially in our schools, you know, my brothers were those all-star athletes, the, the guys running around playing everything and anything. And I myself was a gymnast and, uh, and my mom was my gymnastics coach. And so being in that environment, was definitely one that I think others would perceive as being healthy or being fit. And so within my own friend group, I was often viewed as the healthy one, the athletic one, the gymnast, the one with three brothers who were good at every sport. (laughs) And so people would expect certain behaviors from me because I was from that family. So especially as I, as I moved into high school, I was kind of coming in as the fourth, well, we'll say quote unquote, the fourth Osborne. And with that title came, oh my gosh, she's going to be so good at sports. She's going to do so well at the beep test. She's all these kind of little expectations that, that were on me. And it, it was of no one's fault. It just kind of that's who they knew my family was. That's what they expected me to be. And I felt like when I lived up to those expectations, I was accepted and I was praised and I would get really positive feedback. And so, you know, when I, when I played sports or when I went and worked out or did exercise, it was, yeah, good job, Kenzie. Like, that's what you do. That's who you are. That's awesome. And, and similarly on the food side of things, it was like, you know, you have to eat a certain way to, to be that athlete. And so if I, if I reached for something that maybe 
wasn't an athlete food, I guess you could say, then I would get kind of negative reactions or, oh, why is she doing that? That's, that's not what she, she does. That's not who she is. And so I would feel out of place and, and that would feel really uncomfortable for me. And so in being shaped as this, this healthy fit one and going, wanting that acceptance and wanting to have an identity and wanting to know who I am and, and feel comfortable in my own skin, then I just kind of took on that identity and was like, all right, I guess I'm the healthy fit one. I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to be eating these, these salads or, uh, you know, running and biking and doing all this stuff that I didn't necessarily love doing all the time, but that's what people expected and that's what was accepted. And so that certainly changed my relationship with, with both food and exercise in that it felt like it was something I had to do to be accepted rather than something that I, that I truly wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of, a lot of sense that our, our brains sort of look for the, the, it feels good when we get a positive response and we want more yeah. of those positive responses. Our, our brain science tells us that is what, you know, lets us know we're doing the right thing. And it's hard to get sort of stuck in that. And we, you know, we also know that eating disorders, you know, impact people, you know, far beyond the dinner table. How did that sort of growing preoccupation with food and wanting to, to kind of get it right and, and get those uh, responses, how did that impact other areas of your life? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess we can talk about the fortunately part later, but food is connected with pretty much every aspect of your life. If you think of things that you do with your family, you'll think of those family dinners, you'll think of getting together and going to a restaurant together, or having drinks with your brothers, or doing things that surround, are surrounded around food. And, and with your friends, you know, you could go to the movies and what comes with movies? Well, you got popcorn, you got soda, you got food. Really so many things happen around food. And so when you develop a, a fear for that, or when you feel like the foods that are going to be at an event, in, in my case, like I felt as though if I went to an event and people were around and I ate those foods and they saw me eating those foods that didn't match my identity, that there would be some sort of pushback or some sort of what are you doing or some comment that was uncomfortable. And so rather than putting myself in that situation, I just didn't want to go to the event there were so many social situations that I missed out on. You know, in my, in my first year at college, I didn't want to go to those gatherings, those ceremonies, those, those fun freshman year things that go on. I, I didn't want to do it. I remember going to my brother's wedding and I was absolutely terrified. I, that was, that was probably one of the most nerve wracking experiences because obviously I love my brother. We have the best relationship and I wanted to be there for him through everything. But all I could think about was, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this dinner? And that was my fear. And I couldn't 
like appreciate the the whole wedding and I couldn't be there with him a hundred percent because part of me was just so worried about the food that was there and so I think a lot of people think that people with eating disorders it only affects them around eating but when you think about what eating is actually tied to it's tied to so many aspects of your life that it really affects your your social your social life and uh and it affected you know my athletic life as well because i wasn't fueling my body so i couldn't perform properly you know there were a lot of health complications that happened while i was playing my sports and and so all of this was was because of of the food and i think that's something that is it's it's not talked about as much the implications and the the amount that a fear of food the the amount of i guess issues that that can that can present to you yeah absolutely when i you know think about how how many things do we make decisions about five, six, seven, eight times a day, like we need to eat throughout the day. That's how our bodies work. That's what they need. And so we're throughout the day making different decisions. So you're, you're right to your point about people might not think eating disorders impact people's thinking, except when they're right with the food. Yeah. First of all, they're with the food a lot because we eat frequently during the day because we need to, and all those thoughts that swirl in between. Yeah. And I think there's even a, don't quote me on this, but I think there's a statistic out there that's like, we make more than 200 decisions about food a day. And so if you have a fear around food, that's over 200 thoughts that scare you and that you are afraid of every single day. Yeah. Um, And that's a lot. Magnified and louder and noisier as you go through the day. Absolutely. So the, the, I mean, it's so disruptive, right? That just sounds disruptive, right? Your thinking is disrupted, your, your eating is disrupted, your performance is disrupted. And yet even in, in the middle of that kind of disruption, eating disorders can be hard to, to recognize both by people who are experiencing it and by support people who might just be really unfamiliar with these illnesses. They're complex, complicated illnesses. And not believing that anything's wrong or, or that you're sick is often part of it. Uh, and the fact that, you know, our culture celebrates a lot of those behaviors as like exactly what you're saying, like healthy or, you know, you're doing such a great job. It doesn't help, right? How, when did you recognize that you uh, had an eating disorder and, and what concerns, if any, did your, your parents or others express before that point? Yeah, so it was, it was really tough to recognize that I had an eating disorder because as you said and as I as I said before everything was accepted if I was going to the gym for x amount of hours a day people weren't going to say anything they were going to cheer me on and say that's amazing (laughs) you know if I didn't have you know some sort of quote-unquote unhealthy food if I chose not to have that that was I would get praise and and I think in the media, we see a lot of times as, as these are healthy behaviors, that it's really hard to diagnose that there's more to that. There's more that's going on. And, and for me, I found out, or I, I guess I made the realization when my, my gym teacher, she was the first one that brought up a concern 
And she just kind of pulled me aside after class one day, we were in health class. The topic that day was eating disorders. And she pulled me aside and just said, hey, I've been noticing some of your eating patterns have changed. I've noticed, you know, you, you look a little bit less energetic than normal. Is everything okay? And I very defensively was saying, yeah, everything's absolutely fine. Like I am an athlete. This is what I do. <laughs> like that, that same sentence, I'm an athlete. This is what I do was just my, that was my go-to phrase that my eating disorder loved to use. And so that's kind of what I said. And I went home that day and didn't really think much of it. And a few weeks later, I just remember I was eating, I was eating like a dessert in my room by myself. And I just remember breaking down and feeling like I was doing something so wrong. And that, you know, if someone else saw me that I would be, you know, considered worthless, that, you know, my identity would be changed, that I wouldn't be accepted. And it was at that point that I, I walked downstairs and I, I was in tears. And I just said to my mom and dad, I, I think I might have an eating disorder. These are the thoughts that are going through my head right now. And my mom and my dad were, I, I guess I can't speak for them, but they were in shock because as many other people in my life thought, they just assumed that I absolutely loved exercise and that I loved to eat the way I was eating. And as soon as I started telling them my feelings and that this wasn't who I was, it came as a bit of a shock to them. And thankfully, they were absolutely the most supportive people I could have ever asked for. And so the very next day, we, we did start booking in sessions with a therapist and we immediately got some help to try and to try and get on things as, as soon as we could and get down to the root of the, the issues. But it was not easy to, to diagnose. And, and to be honest, I was still very much in denial, literally until the day I left university. I still didn't believe I was sick enough to be considered to have anorexia. I didn't think that I was worthy of care. I thought, you know, I am not physically in so much distress that I need to be in a hospital bed that I don't need care. When in reality, as soon as you have those thoughts, you, you need care. You need that support. You need that help because that's where everything starts. And you really, I really needed the, the support before that. But it was, it was hard to, to accept and to realize myself that it was a problem. Yeah, those are such wise words. I, I just want to echo that. But it's, it is, it's, I mean, what a, what a sort of cruel, fierce illness that tries to convince you that you're fine when you're not fine, right? That that's part of the illness. Part of what happens in the brain when people get an eating disorder, that they start to think that they're, nothing's wrong and to have all kinds of other reasons why A, B, or C might be happening. And society certainly fills in a lot of those, you know, suggested answers for us, like you're giving really life to in your story. Uh, so it's, it's striking to me how, how different that is than if you, you know, break your leg. We don't spend a lot of time thinking like, do you think it's broken enough? Should I go get help? <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. Have I broken enough bones? Right. <laughs> Maybe I should take another one. Maybe just like two or three. I mean, it's just, it's preposterous, but 
that's what happens with these illnesses that they just sort of convince us that something is wrong, not with us that we could go get help for, but something's wrong that we'd even be thinking that anything's wrong and just pivots from that. But it does sound like you had a, a beautiful support from your, from your family, from your parents. How, how did they support you, your, your family and your parents support you in, in recovery? I mean, I, I feel so fortunate to have had the support and, and love and care that I did. I know that not everybody has that, that situation for them, but the fact that I had my, my parents and my brothers right by me through everything was absolutely incredible. And I have, a, I have a few stories here that are, I think are kind of funny, but they're also just really cute. Um, so one of the things that my mom and dad uh, and I did when I got home, when, when I was really young, I absolutely loved baking and I loved cooking. And so I would be in the kitchen with dad making cookies. I would be trying out new recipes with mom. I would be always in the kitchen, always trying new things. And I loved it. And they really wanted to bring that little kid out of me again and, and reignite that passion that I had. And, and they wanted to kind of push me to think of food as not just a nutrition label, which is really what I was viewing food as at that point. And so they wanted to show me that food was an outlet for creativity that that food could represent cultures that it could introduce you to different parts of the world and so my dad and i kind of started watching shows like beat bobby flay and chopped and guys grocery games and all these things on on food network and i we would always joke around and just say what would you make if you were if you got this chopped basket so if if you're not familiar with chopped it's four different ingredients and they don't go together at all. And you are tasked with creating something with that. And so we would just joke around and say, whatever, this is what we'd make. And my dad and mom would then one day just said, okay, well, why don't we try it? And my heart like skipped a beat. It was, it was, the, it was a weird feeling because my eating disorder was freaking out like those were foods that I would never imagine having but there was this little tiny part of me that was thinking I wonder what this actually tastes like like maybe this is something maybe I'm onto something here <laughs> like and I kind of wanted to a little bit of bragging rights with my mom and dad as to I know this is gonna taste good <laughs> and so we started playing these kind of chopped style games or guys grocery games that those kind of things and they would give me different challenges so maybe I'd have to make a meal with a certain ingredient one day or maybe I remember one time I had to make a meal with only ingredients that started with the letter b and so we would just kind of play these different things and it was so cool because it just it got my mind away from the nutrition for a second and it, it put it on the creativity and that, I guess, solving the puzzle of the basket, like what am I gonna do with this stuff to make it actually taste somewhat good? So after creating that meal, we would all sit down together and we would eat it. They would be right by my side, eating it, staying there as long as it took. And, and we would kind of have laughs over it. Like either it didn't taste good and 
<laughs> it was awful, but we tried or it tasted good. And that was a great experience. And so that was a really cool way to, to put some, I guess, put some fun into the food and try something new on, on top of that, you know, a really big part of my, of my recovery was eating with others and they made sure to be there and to eat and to stay at the dinner table with me. If my brothers were over, they were, cause they were at university at the time. So if they came home, they were staying at the dinner table with me through the entire meal, which could sometimes take several hours. And we would all just sit there and talk about life. They would crack some jokes and, and we would just all sit there and, and eat together. And that was huge. Even on days when I was home by myself and my parents were at work, they would Skype me to, to eat lunch together. And they would take whatever their, their lunch break, they would have their Skype on and, and we would eat together. And to me, that's, it was so incredible. Always being able to share a meal with other people and being able to laugh and have fun and put creativity into things. It was just such a, like looking back on it now, it's like, that's a really cool experience. It, it certainly brought us together and it, it completely changed my relationship with food. Yeah. That, those are fantastic stories. I mean, how, it's so much fun to imagine that kind of difficulty that you were having being able to tur- turn into something that was become such a delightful memory, it sounds like, and how it was the, just the transformation of that and the support of your parents and your family to be there. I mean, we know how important it is to have support from, from somebody. It, it can be anybody that's willing to sit with you and be there and, and really stay with you you do the hard work of eating because nobody can eat for you right they can be there with you but you have to do that piece and so to have the support you had is incredible yeah yeah I mean I yeah I could not be more more grateful for that so fun so so tell us about the decision to attend culinary school I mean that's just a such a fun sort of carry on from from the the story I, I love the you know I imagine the the chopped games I watch a lot of but, you know, that, that, game, that is fun. How did, uh, what kind of impact did going to culinary school have on your eating disorder recovery in the early days? Yeah, that was um, something that was definitely not expected. When I came home from my first university, I would have never guessed of going to culinary school. But after playing those chopped games and, uh, and other kind of games with my family, I started developing a real passion for exploring new foods and trying new things and using food kind of like a form of art I guess and and it was really cool now the interesting thing is is looking back on it now I think a part of the reason I did want to go to culinary school and a part of that drive for me going was to be able to continuously control my food which is something that that feels more comfortable for, for those with eating disorders. And so looking back at it now, I know that in culinary school, I enjoyed knowing what was going into my food. And I enjoyed that confidence that I was making it myself. 
And it was still very challenging to eat food that was prepared by someone else. And it was incredibly challenging to have to incorporate ingredients into my meal that I wasn't comfortable with. And the instructors would know that wasn't a secret. <laughs> so there were some times that I, I didn't want to put certain foods in a meal and I, I wouldn't because I knew I would be the one tasting it and I would be the one eating it. And I, I didn't want to. And I remember one of the times I did that, my professor took a bite and he, he said, did you actually taste this? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> and he was like, did you follow the recipe? I was like, I tweaked it a little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was definitely challenging to, to have to put those ingredients in. But as I moved through, through the two years of culinary school, it also did teach me what was normal and what, you know, what a meal looks like and all the different components to it that I'd never really even thought of before. You know, in culinary school, you got to think of the texture, you got to think of the colors, you got to think of how it looks on a plate, how it tastes. You, you have to think of it all. And, you know, before I had just looked at food as a nutrition label and that's how I would pick my food. It would be more of like a scientific calculation. But learning about all these different aspects of food helped me think of it in a different way. And so instead of looking at my fear foods as a nutrition label that I didn't necessarily like or didn't think was quote unquote healthy, I looked at it as, oh, cool, this is like this color and I need this color on my plate. So I'm going to put that on. And it kind of forced me to, to have some of those fear foods and realize that there's a lot more to food than just the nutrition. And I think that's something that culinary school and just cooking and traveling and trying new cuisines, I think all of that came together to show me that, that there's so much to food and so much to enjoy about it. It was just able to be that extra push to get me to try things that I was previously really afraid to try. Hey, I, I love your story of your professor saying, did you taste this? That, that yeah, that was funny. <laughs> you know, there's, there's sort of a, some metaphor in there somewhere around, like you can, you created whatever that dish was, right? You created some semblance of it that looked probably enough like whatever it was you were making. But it, because it didn't have the ingredients it needed, it wasn't, it wasn't something that, you know, people wanted to engage with, it sounds like. It sounds like he didn't want a lot more bites of it. He definitely didn't. Yeah. And yeah, that was, that, I mean, all through culinary school, that was a really interesting kind of lesson to learn. Like I say, it was also interesting to, to note what was normal because I had been restricting for so long. Like, what actually does a normal plate look like? what do people actually like? What do people eat from all different cultures, all different? It's, it's just, it's so interesting to learn that this is, it's, it's a part of who you are. And I guess at that point, I really realized how much I was restricting because I realized, oh, this is what's normal. Also, oh my gosh, this is what food is supposed to taste like. This is delicious. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this is so much better. What yeah. <laughs> well, and it strikes me too that the, the comments made earlier about missing out on things, like not being able to 
go to things like the movies or to hang out with your friends and missing out on those, you know, ingredients, if you will, didn't make for a very well-rounded, enjoyable, palatable experience for you in life, just like it doesn't on the plate. And so it, it just strikes me as you're talking that if you leave out those ingredients in your cooking, it doesn't turn out so enjoyable. And if we don't have them in our lives, maybe that, that our lives, we miss that in our lives and the experience is so much less rich. So that's beautiful. And you, you do some, some blogging and photography. How did that sort of non, you know, cooking specific piece come into things for you? Yeah. So one of our first projects in culinary school was actually to create a food blog. And it was one of our first task was to create a blog post interviewing a farmer that was near us. And this was so cool to me. I had no clue what to expect, but uh, I went and I interviewed this farmer and heard his story of, you know, growing up on a farm with his great, with his grandparents and his parents and his whole family you know, having food be such a, I don't know, way for them to bond together. He, he was just explaining all of the care that goes into every single ingredient, how everything that they eat, they grow for themselves. And the passion that I heard in his voice and just how much he, like food meant to him was so like such a foreign concept to me. And it was so interesting. And so since then, I, I decided, okay, I want to see what other stories there are. There's got to be more about the way that food can, can influence someone's life. And so I began doing this blog and I started just talking with local chefs and, and cooks and even grandmas and grandpas who were around and just loved food. And that was so eye-opening because I was talking to people from so many different cultures and they would just talk about different traditions and family occasions and funny times and memories that were all around food. And it, it got me thinking, oh my gosh, I had a portion of my life where food really was something so negative but for all these people it's been something that has shaped who they are it's it's been such a major positive part of their life and so many experiences have come from sharing food with others and i was like i i want that i want to be able to celebrate food in the way that they do i want these experiences i want to be able to bond with somebody over a pizza because we're having pizza and it's fun so that in itself and learning about all these all these stories i've i've interviewed chefs in kenya who you know their idea is to just sit down on the floor eat with their hands and share meals with their family all throughout the day and just having that as their main point of connection with their family is so interesting and even even when i i myself went over to thailand and I'll never forget the experience of, of sitting down on the ground for three to four hours with a large group of people, just eating the food, sharing, laughing, not caring about any nutritional related anything. It was just enjoying the moment. 
And so in learning about how food can really make these positive experiences and build these tight relationships, I mean, it just, it shows that it, there is so much more than what we focus on. I think in the Western world, we just focus on really the nutrition, the ingredients, the labels, the science, all that, but we miss out on, this is an experience. This is something to be shared. This is something to express who you are as a person. Like, you know, you can learn so much just by eating someone else's food. Every culture has their own unique way of serving food and you can learn so much through, through sharing that with them. I get those connections. I hear that in your stories of the connections with the other people that you're sharing the food with is such a critical piece of it. And if you're afraid of having the food, then you don't get the connections. Yeah, exactly. And it it was so such an eye-opening experience, like I said, because when I was in recovery, when I went down and sat at a table, I was zoned in on food there could be like a group of celebrities around me. I would not know. I was zoned in on the food and I was terrified. Whereas when I was talking to others about their relationships with food and and how positive it was for them, food was like an accessory, but the main event was talking and bonding and laughing and sharing these these memories and, and having these really awesome experiences and food was just there to accompany it. I guess food was the thing that brought everybody together, but it was the fact that everyone was around that made it so special. And it just kind of, it, it hit me hard and it still does hit me hard today that like, those are things that I, I genuinely missed out on. Like I say, at my brother's wedding, I wasn't fully there. I was zoned in on the food and that's something that's really heartbreaking because that moment will never come again. And rather than fully being there in that exciting moment for my brother, I was worried, oh my gosh, what is going to be on my plate? And I think that's really, that's something that's unfortunate. And I think it's, it's something that I, I really hope people can, can realize that food really is something so special and it creates memories that that you can cherish forever yeah so well said sort of along those lines what i what advice do you have for somebody listening you know a lot of people might be listening thinking like well yeah i have the same pressure to be the healthy fit one or i'm an athlete i have to eat a certain way or i feel you know like i need to think about food just in nutritional values Maybe they're wondering if their experience or their relationship with food or exercise is, is normal. And they're starting to think, huh, I wonder if it is, or I, maybe I know it's maybe not, but what do, I, what do I do? What advice would you have for them, knowing that you were once sitting in that space? Yeah, I mean, if you're having thoughts about food all of the time, if, if food is a stress, a source of stress in your life, then just like anything else in your life that is a stress, we, we all need help with different aspects of our life. And if, if food is something that is stressful or that you feel like when you have a meal, it is contributing to who you are as a person, then I think that's something to talk about. And I think that it's something that maybe 
we need to explore more because what you eat doesn't determine your identity. Like if food is on your mind and it's preventing you from living your life to the fullest or it's resulting in thoughts that are negative, then that is a part of your life that's, you know, it's preventing you from living the life that you really want to live. And it's the same thing with exercise. If it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't, if something doesn't make you feel happy, then there's something there that it's, it's preventing you from shining. And I think it was something that was so hard for me to accept that maybe that identity, like I never created that identity for myself. I kind of just, you know, that's what I perceived others thought of me. But when you finally kind of let yourself be who you are, that's when you feel your best. People can really accept who you are. People will, they'll fall in love with who you are. And it has nothing to do with the food that you eat. It, it, has, it has to do with you and what you like. Because when you're doing what you like, like you're just going to be so much more excited. You're going to be so much more happy and people are going to feed off that. And I, I wasn't happy being that healthy fit one. That's, I was not happy being like that. And when I found out who I was and I kind of figured out my fit in life, I feel so much happier, so much more confident. And, and that's, that's what I have realized is so important to me is being able to live my life the way that I really want to and being able to do the things that I absolutely love doing. So sometimes the, the identity that we think is associated with who we are really isn't who we are. But when you do find that, it's really cool. Being on both sides, it's really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so it's so true that you know that your last comment of being on both sides because right if people are sitting there thinking oh, oh you know that's not, that might be true for you but that's not going to be true for me and it's true they get there and they're like oh wait it is true for me it is way better on this side and it takes a lot of a lot of work and a lot of support to get there but you have just a, a, a beautiful way of of telling that story where where can people learn more about you about your blog about the other awesome work you're doing. Of course. Um, so I do have my blog right now, which is just my name. So KenzieOsborne.com. And that's where I have just launched a new series called Anorexia Unedited, where I kind of talk about my story as it sounds unedited. <laughs> just kind of trying to be completely honest and, uh, and talk about issues that we I think a lot of us do suffer from, but are just not necessarily talked about. And I also do have an Instagram account, which is at Chef Kenzie Osborne. And that is where I kind of share funny, weird food stories that I've encountered throughout my life. <laughs> there, there's some heartwarming ones in there. There's some ridiculous ones. And the whole goal there is just to, to show that food really is, is so much more than just just a nutrition label or just what's on the plate. There's some funny, weird, uh, weird stuff that goes on around the dinner table. So those are where you can find me. That's great. 
I, uh, my, my last burning question is, okay, so are you, are you going to apply to be on Chopped or be Bobby Flay or one of the food shows? Oh my gosh, if that opportunity ever came up, I would take it 100%. That would be so fun. That would be so fun. I would so watch that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would, be a, that would be quite the experience. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Kenzie, so much for sharing your story, for sharing your inspiration, for sharing the, the joy that, that can be food and the path that you took to get from when it wasn't so much the joy to, to where you are today. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think what, what you guys do as a program is absolutely incredible. And I, I'm so honored to, uh, to have been offered this opportunity to speak with you guys and, and share my story. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY program. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.